Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley and the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Super Psyched is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. We humans have evolved to care about other humans. Thanks to these beautiful pro-social brains between our ears, we have cultivated kindness that has helped us survive throughout the millennia. At our best, we tend to be empathic and our brains reward us with hits of dopamine when we help our fellow human beings. So it is no surprise that when we do good by providing charity or means for our fellow humans to improve their lives, we feel good. In fact, an abundance of research from the work of positive psychology reveals that a quick path to happiness is by being helpful to others. And because of that, I am so excited to speak with the guest on this episode, Mark Gerson. Mark is an incredible human being. He has a JD from law school. He married a rabbi. He is the author of a brilliant book, the host of a great podcast, and he has had spectacular success in the business world, founding Gerson Lerman Group, also known as GLG, Thuzio, Tel Aviv Angel Group, and later on, Maverick Ventures Israel, a venture capital fund. But these are just some of the things that impress me about Mark. At least as impressive has been his total dedication to his charities and to measurably making our world a better place. He is in charge of United Hatzalah, an inspired medical operation in Israel, as well as African Mission Healthcare Foundation, a similarly inspired medical operation that supports Christian medical ministries in Africa. He talks about the benefits of participating in charity work and the meaning and sustainable joy it provides. He also shares tips on fundraising, which is a Jedi level skill that requires incredible finesse and has been described as the most difficult sale of all. So listen in as Mark shares timeless wisdom of charity, how we get so much more than we give when we give. Mark Gerson, a hearty welcome to Super Psyched. Thank you, Adam. I love your work. And I'm so delighted to know about you, about your writing, about your dogged pursuit to bring justice to areas of the world that need it so badly, seeing the chasm between what is and what needs to be. And you, with courage and focus, have been filling the gap, whether it's $18,000 a day to get people medical care quickly or joining forces with your Jewish, with your Christian brethren to help create a mission to help Africa. It's stunning what you've done. And I just want to hear a little bit about your backstory. How did this all come about? How did you become this guy who cared so much about these pursuits? First, it's so wonderful to be here and thank you for your question. So I'm the co-founder and chairman of two nonprofits, United Hatzalah of Israel and African Mission Healthcare. So I guess in order of the founding, United Hatzalah, well, this year is our 18th anniversary, and we had a predecessor organization as well. So it's been over 20 years. And the problem we solved was identified by my partner, United Hatzalah, Ellie Beer, more than 20 years ago, which is that people die all day, every day, waiting for an ambulance. And in the moments following a heart attack, stroke, choking, bleeding, an accident, 
You don't need an ambulance, which is a very good transport vehicle. You need a trained and equipped first responder who can save your life. And if it takes 10 minutes, which it does on average in the most advanced cities in the world for the ambulance to come, that's okay. So long as there's a trained and equipped first responder at the victim's side within 90 seconds. So that was the challenge that Ellie noted and that he and I set out to accomplish was in Israel, could we get help to people who suffer from the same things that people in the U.S. call 911 for, exactly the same range of things, within those precious moments that separate life from death? So what we did is we built a crowdsourced system of volunteer first response, the first and now only in the world. And we have 7,000 volunteers throughout Israel. And through our central dispatch system, we know where every volunteer is at all times. We know what their capabilities based on their extensive training is. And whenever there's someone who has a heart attack or there's an accident or a stroke or bleeds for some reason, choking, we're able to dispatch the closest first responder in our system who will get there in cities within 90 seconds now and nationwide within three minutes and give assistance to the victim in those precious moments to separate life from death. You know, as I hear you say this, and I think about Victor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, and I think about what a former guest of mine, Michael Mead, described us as homo symbolicus. We're not just homo sapiens, but we are in pursuit of meaning. And I imagine that your day as a result of these pursuits is full of meaning. This must be at front of mind so much of the time in your day-to-day life. Absolutely. Look, that's so well put. And it's true both with regards to our work with United Hatzala and RSA, my wife, who's my partner in every respect in all this work, is our work at United Hatzala and African Mission Healthcare. Absolutely. The most important thing that anyone needs is exactly what you said, meaning. And the best way for anybody to find meaning is to identify a cause, a project, something that inspires one that is greater than oneself. And what does that mean? It means that will profoundly and demonstrably and measurably help either save lives or ameliorate pain. So there's got to be nothing theoretical about it in order to get this meaning from a philanthropic pursuit. It's got to be very concrete, very measurable, and it's got to do one of two things, save lives or ameliorate pain. And it's got to do it with maniacal effectiveness. And we've been really blessed to have been able to co-found with two of the best people in the world, Ellie Beer at United Hatzala and John Fielder at African Mission Healthcare, these two organizations, which very much do give us meaning. So my wife's a rabbi and I'm Jewish, of course. We're very devoted traditional Jews, but our work at African Mission Healthcare is exclusively with Christian missionary doctors at Christian missionary hospitals in Africa. And that's because these people are going without not only luxuries, certainly that, but we would consider, and we being pretty much anybody, consider necessities. This is often running water, consistent electricity, what doctors in the West think is necessary to do their work. And these doctors go without all of these things in order to bring care to the poorest people in the world and to train others so that there will be more care in the generations to follow. And whenever one of these doctors, which they do once every three or five years, comes back to the U.S. to visit, they'll often come through New York where we live and we'll always have a dinner and sometimes an event with them at our home rather than going out. And one of the reasons for that is we want our children to really grow up knowing who the real heroes of the world are. And these are these doctors who are sacrificing everything to serve those in the greatest need. And we want our children and other people to know that 
the greatest people in the world, whether it's at our work at African Mission Healthcare, these Christian doctors, or at our work in Israel, these completely selfless volunteers who drop whatever they're doing to help their neighbors in need, they need a partner, and that partner is going to be a philanthropist. And as both Ellie Beer, my partner United Hatzala, and John Fielder, my partner at African Mission Healthcare, have said in only slightly different ways, is they said, without the philanthropic support, we'd be working with Band-Aids. And what's important for everyone to know, and and really everyone, we're not only talking about big dollars at all. Probably the sign of a really effective charitable organization is that small dollars can make a huge difference. I mean, we just had over for Shabbat dinner on Friday night, Dr. Tom Katina, who's a Catholic missionary doctor serving in the poorest place in the world, which is in the Nuba Mountains. And Tom was describing how this is for like significantly less than $300. Tom is able to help patients and victims like the following. He was describing a woman who's a little older than me now, or maybe my age, I'm 51, who had a fistula. And a fistula is a type of birth injury that follows when a woman needs a cesarean section but can't get one, which is the case in much of Africa because there are so few trained OBGYNs and other kinds of doctors who can do this procedure. And one of the things we're doing is doing more of these procedures and training lots more people to do it. So the problem is alleviated over time. But what Tom was describing was doing a fistula procedure, which he said took a half hour, cost less than $300. And the patient had been leaking urine nonstop for 30 years. So this is someone who survived the childbirth. Now, one in 40 women in Africa will die in childbirth. This woman has survived the childbirth, but as a result of not getting a C-section, which has been ubiquitously available in the West for the lifetime of anybody listening to this show, she was leaking urine for 30 years and Tom was able to fix it in a half hour for under $300. So Adam, you talked about providing meaning. So anybody who can donate less than $300 to, in this case, African Mission Healthcare to help a woman get surgery for official or other birth injury. I mean, the meaning in that is pretty extraordinary. I mean, just imagine being the but-for cause, the difference between a woman continuing to leak urine nonstop, which is something we can't even imagine, and being cured, having the problem fixed for under $300. I mean, that's really the power, the potential, and the opportunity of philanthropy done well. I love that. And one of the hopes of this particular episode is that a listener will consider doubling down, joining some form of a mission that is of great consequence, giving of themselves. One of the things that we know for sure is that giving leads to actually people feeling better about themselves and more giving in the long run, as well as just a reparation of the world. I often also think about, as a positive psychologist, somebody who studies the science of happiness, I think about something Daniel Gilbert once said. He's from Harvard. Very smart man. He said that what makes us mammals different from other mammals is that we can actually imagine a future, but we have a difficult time predicting our happiness. And what positive psychology has solved for is the ability to recognize certain things that we can do that will actually make us happy. I have been geeking out to you, Mark. I've been listening to your podcast. I've been watching you on YouTube, (laughs) seeing you now. You appear to be a happy man with a great sense of purpose. And I believe that if people want to be happier, one of the quickest ways to doing it is through giving of themselves time, treasure, talent, however they wish to give. And... I imagine it's really joyful to recruit people. I also imagine that there are some things that can be really, really challenging for you. I imagine that there are some times where you're actually 
What do we know about flow? What do we know about meetings? There are moments where you're kind of pulling out your hair, thinking to yourself, why did I get into this? What are some of the challenges you need to work through in order to stay focused and stay in the ring for this important fight? Well, first, I think you put it so beautifully about how... And by the way, so many scientific studies validate exactly what you just said, which is that the key to happiness is giving, but giving effectively. And in fact, in the Torah, when it discusses contributing gifts to build a safer tabernacle, it doesn't say you shall give. It said you shall take the certain unit of currency to provide. It's like, but why does it say take rather than give? And the teaching is right from the Hebrew text is that when you give, you do take. Uh huh. There's no difference. Is that when you give to build something great, when you give to help a, or not something, and yes, something great. And something great could be giving less than $300 to help a woman with a birth injury be able to live normally and healthily again, then you're actually taking. And what are you taking? You're taking happiness. That's you're right. taking joy. You're taking meaning right there in the Hebrew text. And in fact, the word to give in Hebrew, Natan, it's a palindrome. It reads the same way backwards and forwards. Oh, that's right. Because and and by the way, Natan, for those of you who way. don't speak Hebrew, means to give, essentially, right? Yeah. And it's a palindrome. In the Hebrew and in the English transliteration, it's the same backwards it's, and so forwards. It's, so it's a bidirectional activity. Exactly. It's a bidirectional activity. And giving well is kind of like teaching and lighting a candle, which are really the only two things that when you share knowledge and when you light a candle, you don't lose knowledge or sacrifice light. If I gave you this Diet Coke here, I'd have one fewer. (laughs) But if you give knowledge, you don't lose knowledge. You actually might gain some. If you light one candle with the other, you don't lose light, you gain light. And the same thing with giving. And when you give intelligently, you don't lose anything. You give and you gain simultaneously. And that's especially true, or perhaps only true when it's done really effectively and when you can really measure the change that you've enacted with a small gift or a large gift. And then what one gets in return is so much greater than one gives while simultaneously transforming the lives of the person to whom you're giving. I think about how we kind of lionize humility and lionize some other virtues that are important. And yet, one of the things that we may miss out on in the act of giving is for the service of humility, we may not actually get to feel like the warmth associated with it. So what I'm thinking about is how to derive the beauty of the bi-directional giving. The way my grandfather would, when he would go to the Entman's outlet in his Florida retirement community, he'd go to the Entman, bring people cake and knock on their door. I got some cake for you. And he'd say, Adam, when I give, I feel so good. And I think there's something about being willing to just tolerate the warm feelings. So we may think, oh gosh, that's somehow too schmaltzy to feel when in reality, it's part of the exchange is like, wow, and that felt good to me too. And that's not a bad thing. No, I, th- I think what you point out is really important. So for instance, the Torah says 36 times, you shall love the stranger. Never says you shall love your child. So why not? Because no one has to tell us to love our children. We're going to do it. We're going to do it without instruction, right? So it's like, why? So why say love the stranger over and over? And 36 times is a lot. So why does it say it so, so often? It's because it's not something we're going to do naturally or normally or without instruction. And why is it? It's because you don't naturally or normally feel good doing so. You have to educate yourself to do so effectively. And now it's easier than it's ever been historically to know how to give, where to give, and to get that kind of feedback about the transformation and the change that one's making to be able to generate the kinds of positive feelings that you're talking about. That's wonderful. I'm thinking about a teacher of mine who was of sadly of blessed memory at this point, who talked about the idea of the hardest sale in some ways is getting people to donate their hard-earned cash to a fund. And you probably are very seasoned in this. I'm wondering if you could share some of your methods for 
helping people get in touch with their values, get in touch with feeling good about giving to Hatsala or your African mission? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the key to getting people and the people could be oneself, the key to getting, you're right. So parting with money is a conceptually difficult thing. So what's the way to get people to do it? First, they have to know from the data and from the evidence, from the return on investment, just how impactful their gift is. Right. And so at both United Hatsala and at African Mission Healthcare, we have the ROI math down exceptionally well. It's not that we've done the math well. You do the math, you do the math. But <laughs> the organizations are so effective that the math is so compelling that people end up giving. So for instance, at United Hatsala, we're now doing 1,900 calls a day on a budget of $56 million, Wow! which means... If you take the amount of lives we save, now 6.9% of calls to any 911 system are going to be potential life-saving interventions. If you take the 6.9% and you take all the other calls and say they're worth 15% of a life-saving intervention, and some might be worth more, like helping a pregnant woman get through a difficult birth, some might be less, it's a call from a first-time parent and everything's okay, then it's cost $500 per life-saving equivalent. I mean, this is absolutely jaw-dropping. Like who yeah. wouldn't want to give $500 to save a life? So, yeah, exactly. So someone is dying and for $500, you can get a trained and equipped first responder at their side in Israel, $500. And that's what it costs. We have all the math, all the data, and that's what it costs. So Adam, when you ask like, how do you really show people how to give? It's like, first you have to have data like that. Yeah. And then you have fun. to give the data like that. And that's what it costs. So if you put it that way, it's like, well, can you imagine yourself or a loved one being in the moment to separate life from death. Like maybe you're choking on something, bleeding, having a stroke. Maybe your wife or your sister is delivering two weeks earlier than they thought, and it's a really bad situation. They really need help immediately. Like, would you pay 500 bucks to have someone like be there at the moment? You'd be like, of course I would. And you say, okay, terrific. Now for United Hatsala, that saved $500 can get a trained and equipped first responder whose partner is you by the side of that victim today, because we do 1,900 calls a day. At African Mission Healthcare for... Under $300, and I'm talking about our work in the Nuba, our work at birth injury camps and fistula repair centers in Uganda, under $300, we can take a woman who needed a C-section, didn't get it, and this may have happened last year, may have happened 40 years ago, depending on the age of the woman, and as a consequence, she will be living a very degrading life of leaking waste, really nonstop, and we say, we can fix it, just going to cost under $300. You want to be the partner this doctor who is sacrificing everything else in his or her life in order to bring care to this patient, do you want to be that doctor's partner in delivering care to this woman who will now have this injury repaired and will no longer be leaking urine? And the answer would, of course, be yes. And so the ROI has got to be spectacular. And both at United Hatala and African Mission Healthcare, it is. I mean, our work at the Nuba Mountains, the budget right now, excluding the food, it's like $2.1 million a year. And for that, we're doing 175,000 outpatients, 6,000 inpatients, 715 live births, leprosy, TB, malaria care, plus 2,600 surgeries. Wow. All for 2.1 million. And yeah, and these surgeries are everything from OB care to orthopedic care to cancer care to burn care. These are life changing interventions. Each surgery, the medical visits are people with. TB and malaria and all kinds of things. And if allocated to the right place with the right partners, the philanthropic dollar can go so much further 
than a dollar spent anywhere else. And Adam, to your point, if the impact is articulated back to the donor, which I think we do pretty well at both United Hatsala and at African Mission Healthcare, the donor will get that feeling that he or she deserves, mm-hmm. which is the feeling that because of my financial gift, I transform someone's life. And the donor should really know that it's true because yes, we have doctors like Dr. Tom Katina, who very well may be the greatest man in the world. Tom is serving in the Nuba Mountains. Yeah, Bill Rose, an incredible surgeon in Katsawar, Kenya. And we have dozens of other doctors that we work with who are sacrificing everything to help those in need, but they couldn't do it without philanthropy. They couldn't do it. They'd be working with Band-Aid. So anyone who gives should know that they are the partner of the greatest people in the world. And of course, this applies to United Hatsala, where we have medics who, you know, the most observant Jews in the world will get up in the middle of the night on Sunday night, Adam, which as you know, is Yom Kippur, right? They'll get up in the middle. We will have people getting up Sunday night on the holiest night of the year, answering their phone, getting on a medically equipped motorcycle. And for those who don't know, on Shabbat and holidays like Yom Kippur, you don't get on the phone and you don't ride your motorcycle or anything else, but they'll do it because saving a life is the greatest priority in Judaism. They will answer the phone, get on the motorcycle to get to their neighbor in need at 3 a.m. So this is pretty extraordinary work, um, but they couldn't do it without philanthropic support. And therefore, everyone who gives should know. And as Adam, you said, derive the feeling that you are the partner of these incredible people. Yeah. And what you're describing is a tenet of Judaism that I particularly like, and that is that above all else, human life comes first. And mm-hmm. that is kind of like when I think about Rabbi Abraham, Joshua Heschel walking arm in arm with Martin Luther King and Selma praying with his feet. I think that to many right. extent, I mean, you're basically creating a large group of people who are constantly praying with their feet, regardless of their secular tendencies. They are giving justice and healing to the world. And I'm also thinking about heroes. I love that you brought up heroes earlier on and, and you brought up your friend who's a physician in Africa providing these heroic services. Many children grow up thinking that heroes are really in the NBA and in Marvel movies. And I don't discount those. They're great. And I love those heroes. I wish there was also time, not for the hero's sake, but for the children's sake, to have posters of the other heroes on the wall, the nameless physician who's working in Africa so tirelessly so that they could be inspired by those people too. And derive, you know, we become who we kind of imagine that the idea of what would Jesus do as a question, I actually sometimes ask myself, what would Ted Lasso do? Because he's often comes up with a really wise answer and he's actually helped me. But having a picture of the heroes who are doing these selfless acts in their room next to perhaps the NBA stars and the Marvel stars, I would love to see that come about so that their representations were also active in children's rooms. That's such a great point. I mean, the volunteers that we work with in Israel and the doctors, the Christian missionary doctors that we work with in Africa, I mean, they are the real heroes. I mean, these are people who are sacrificing anything, making literally no money for themselves, living often without running water and electricity. And Tom said in the Nuba Mountains, there's one word for food because there's only one food. There's no bathrooms there. The things we take for granted out here. I mean, yeah, exactly. And these are the real heroes and they're doing all this out of love and they're the hardest working people I know. And they're doing this out of love to serve those in the greatest need. And they are the real heroes. And I know how right you are is that when people learn about these heroes, they give. I mean, I'm just thinking about Tom Katina, who's a doctor we've been talking about in the Nuba Mountains. And he was actually, he was over for our our home for about dinner on Friday night. He's going back to Nuba on Thursday. So Nick Kristoff wrote this article in the New York Times on Tom in 2015, and it's called the title of the article, which is obviously anyone can look up, is called He's Jesus Christ. 
And then Peter Atia did a podcast interview with Tom probably three or four years ago. And still to this day, people come across the article by Nick Kristoff or come across the podcast from Peter Atia. They read, they listen, and then they give. So great. So they're inspired. Oh, yeah. On. Wow. One of my old time favorite maxims is we become the average of the five people with whom we spend the most time. We really Very have wise. these cognitive afterimages. If we're standing in line for It's a Small World at Disneyland, we'll hear that for the rest of the day. If we hear Peter Atia talking mm-hmm. with somebody like your buddy, it's just these things have these earworms and we are more likely to engage our better angels as we expose ourselves to these incredible people. Yeah, exactly right. People are exposed. They give. And that's why we started the L'Chaim Prize. So this article came out by Nick Kristoff in 2015. And my, my wife and I said, we'd match donations to Tom up to, I don't know, I think it was like 100,000. Then we raised it again, maybe a third time. And we saw that people kept giving and hitting the match within the day. And so then we said, well, how can we make these acts of generosity on behalf of the, so many people we're doing regular? So we started a L'Chaim Prize for Christian medical, and L'Chaim, of course, means to life for outstanding Christian medical missionary service. And every year there's a winner. And when people learn who the winner is, they invariably learn the winner's story. They learn about the ROI that the winner delivers to his patients, wherever that he or she serves in Africa, and they give too. So when people learn about who the real heroes are, they want to be the partners of these real heroes because the opportunity to do so, as you said, Adam, makes them feel so good. And it's got to be, which it is in these two cases, just so resonant in the numbers, in the math and show up. In an ROI calculation, just like any investor or any business manager looks for ROI when they deploy capital, the philanthropist should think exactly the same way. And when the philanthropist does, and he can deploy capital, and the philanthropist could be anyone giving $200 to giving God knows how many hundreds of millions or more. But when the philanthropist can deploy capital with effective ROI, he feels the same way that a business person or an investor does when they can deploy capital, that kind of ROI is they feel great. And they say, how can I do more? How can I do it again? I love that. And I want to go back. I think like I'd be remiss if we didn't actually uncover the algorithm of brilliance in terms of how you have cultivated good streams of income to keep this alive. It sounds like you start with why, kind of like what Simon Sinek talks about. You give them the ROI. You say, this is why it's important. You do it in a pithy way. So it immediately grabs them. It's accurate. Of course, has to be. You're absolutely going to build a relationship on trust. And then you eventually, I guess, create a relationship over time so that these people feel affiliated and feel a sense of purpose and they become kind of part of, you know, I think of, I'm a Warriors fan. (laughs) My apologies if you're not. (laughs) They call it Dub Nation and they get, you know, wow, I'm affiliated with Dub Nation. Very smart from the NBA tactics, but they actually become part of Hatzala Nation or they become part of this tribe that is out there trying to help African missionaries. And the relationships are cultivated over time. Is that basically how it works? Yeah, exactly right. Both organizations have grown communities from their supporters. That's really important. I think in order to motivate people to give to a great cause, as you said, it's got to be a great cause and it's got to be demonstrable. You need two things. You need stories and data. And the data is about the stories. So you have them both. If you have a good organization, you have them both. So you need stories and data. Now, some people are constitutionally gravitate more to stories. Other people gravitate more to data. Every serious philanthropist should appreciate them both. And so you need stories and you need the data, and then you need to articulate them consistently and rigorously to the philanthropist. And through that process, the stories, the data, the communication, then the charitable organization builds a relationship with the donor. And at some point, the relationship's like a married couple. It's one 
indivisible unit. Yep. There's no me and you or us and them. It's one indivisible unit. A true partnership with Tom Katina and any of his supporters or the Hatzal, Ellie Beer or any of his other Hatzal volunteers, any of their supporters to accomplish the goal together, where both partners recognize that they, it's not that they want each other, but they need each other to do the task that they both agree is sacred. That's fantastic. And before I give you my final question, I'm just going to borrow some of the research that you're actually hacking in and overriding. Robert Sapolsky out of Stanford University, who's a great biologist, has noticed that when we help people within our own tribe, our endogenous levels of oxytocin increase, which means that we tend to favor people from our own tribe. Not a shocking thing, a consequence of tribalism. You have made it your mission, at least in part, to engage ecumenically. You speak with Christians, Catholics, people of the Muslim faith and various faiths. It's You are constantly, just based on the data I have about you, really working to unite humankind, irrespective of the tribes from which they hail. And I just wanted to give a shout out to that fact. My brother, Mark, you are amazing. I have a final magical question for you, and I can't wait to hear the answer because you study Torah so extensively. But I always ask this question. Here it comes. If you, Mark, had the magical powers to confer upon all humanity, one insight or skill that would dramatically improve the lives of individuals and perhaps by extension, society at large, what would that skill or insight be? And how do you imagine it would impact all parties? Well, I would say, let's go back to the Exodus text where God says to Moses, I put a staff in your hand. And I think God has put a staff in everyone's hand and every staff is different. And therefore, I think everyone should acknowledge, what am I gravitating to? What am I really good at? What special gift did God give me? And if someone answers, God didn't give me any special gift, that person is committing the sin of false humility because God has given everyone some special gift and it's incumbent upon each person to identify what special gift do I have? What special capability do I have? And then how do I contribute it to the service of others in a way that has demonstrably and measurably very high ROI? And in the case of African Mission Healthcare, I'll never forget sitting in a room and meeting in Kenya, and I met with several of the missionary doctors, and it occurred to me, it said, I will never be as great as any of them, and I don't have to be able to sacrifice everything to be able to serve those in need. These are the greatest people in the world, and they have very special skills as medical doctors and as surgeons, but you know what I can do? I can support them. I can be their partner. And, And I think everyone should identify what specific skill, trait, gift do I have, and how can I contribute it? to the betterment of mankind in the most effective way. I love that one so much. I mean, I'm bubbling. You probably saw me. I was having a physical response to what you were saying because I was just... I love that answer so much. And I would ask everyone who's listening, definitely, I cannot prescribe medicine. I'm not a prescribing physician, but I can prescribe psychological interventions and finding your staff may be one of the finest I've ever heard. Mark. Well, it's right from the Torah, right from right from <laughs> where, yeah, where you've said that pretty much if you actually really study it and turn it around and turn it around and turn it around, you will find right. the answers for so many things. Everything's there. I can't thank you enough, Mark, for sharing your. No, Adam, thank you. What a great discussion. It was so much fun. Oh, just the medicine I needed, my man. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe 